Welcome to Emerging, the official podcast of the Trout Unlimited and Costa Five Rivers program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. Emerging is about enabling the young angling community to drive progress in the fly fishing industry and the conservation of the places we love to fish. My name is Joseph Burney. I'm the current Five Rivers Communications intern and will be your host along with Andrew Lafredo. For this episode, we got a chance to talk with Matteo Moretti to talk about his experience with Five Rivers and what his plan is for when he graduates. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode six, guys. We are back. Um, hope you have enjoyed the first five episodes, but this time we're changing it up a little bit. We have one of our very own Five Rivers students on. Uh, we got Mateo. Uh, Mateo, it's awesome to have you, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really excited to be here. So, Mateo, uh you go to Middlebury. That's that's up in the north northeast, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Right in Vermont. Yeah, y'all gotten any any snow recently? I know we got hit with it a little bit down in Georgia, and uh, usually that would shut things down pretty good here. But we uh, have COVID now, so everyone knows how to online. But has it been up yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, right now I'm, I'm actually I I went home because we got a. After November 20th, we are not going back to campus until February 24th. Um, we're just Ooh, pretty that's crazy. Nice. Yeah, being being away from there. Um, but while I was up there, it was it was definitely uh, one of the warmer falls I've experienced, and we got a little snow there at the end. But uh, I'm actually heading back up there for a month and a half from January to February to do a little little skiing and stuff like that. But I definitely missed out on the, the opportunity every fall, the, the lake trout and Lake Champlain gather around all the jetties and you can just like catch some hogs on the fly from shore. So it's Ooh. pretty sweet, but I missed out on that. Dude, I'm, I'm jealous. It's just been like, it just got frigid cold down here. It's not like it gets cool cold, like up there. It just gets like freezing cold. And all you have to do is, I mean, I'm sure you have finals coming up, but you just have to sit in the cold and try to warm yourself in your house and study and grind for finals. Um, but what's it what's it like uh, for you this semester? I know everyone's had a little bit of different experience with with COVID and whatnot. Um, how's that been for you? Yeah, it's been a really interesting semester. I'm. I'm pretty grateful that I was able to go back to school because I know a lot of my friends weren't from home. My brother, who's a, a freshman this year um, at Northwestern, wasn't able to go. And I was really glad to be able to get back and very lucky that um, Vermont being geographically how it is and demographically how it is, having low population, not many COVID cases, uh, we were able to get back and just able to spend some time at school and unfortunately I ended up fracturing my ankle so I couldn't really get out and go oh. fish as much as I wanted to but I was still able to do uh to get a few missions in at some some little mountain streams that I always go to every fall that have these native brookies that are max like 
four or five inches and it's just super fun because i go in there with like a two weight and little like royal wolf or something and i'm like crouching behind these big boulders casting into these tiny pools watching like four inch rookies come up and it's super fun have you ever have Um, you ever tried the the double dry fly rig no i haven't dude I will say, so my my Five Rivers Club, we always go up to Brevard and we fish this place uh, in North Carolina along the Blue Ridge Parkway. And the place looks like Yellowstone. But you fish this like double, like instead of a dropper, you fish this little double dry fly rig. And you you would think it would just be a win, not nightmare. But I mean, when you're in those tiny streams like you're talking about, you just cast right up there. It lays right out coolest thing when two two brookies decide to try to hit a hit a dry fly at the same time yeah that's that's super sick i even sometimes like i don't even fish dry flies i just fish like emergers as dry flies because sometimes these fish can be so picky but you know one time i'll fish like a super tiny emerger and catch some fish and then other times i'll like use a massive dry and be catching you know fish that really shouldn't be eating a fly that size yeah so it's it's fun we'll have to try that out that that could be a a cool thing to use up there so what you what got you into fishing in the first place yeah i um my uncle used to live down in florida and he had a canal in his backyard and he was just one of the fishiest dudes i know and he would go out every morning and when i was little i would always like wait for him to come back and finally one day he brought me out there and you know he was teaching me how to cast whatever this is all spinning gear um at the time and just like shrimp on a on a bobber and stuff like that um but we were going out there he was teaching me everything telling me where to cast and we go to his like special spot and he tells me like you have to cast right there and go catch a fish and i like looked at him like undid the bale and cast it in the completely opposite direction. <laughs> and uh, my bobber plopped down, everything settled, and like suddenly just had a hit, caught this like, to me at the time being like five, caught this five pound redfish that felt like a whale. And I was like struggling bringing it in. And I remember just like finally getting it in the boat and looking at it. And I was like, dang, this is pretty cool. So I I decided to like keep up with it. And as I got more interested in it, when I got into high school, I got into like tournament bass fishing. So I was kind of in that scene for a while. And my friend and I started like a high school team and like won the New Jersey state championship with that. So my heart kind of like in fishing started with traditional, but I got into fly fishing, um, my going into my sophomore year of high school i went on this youth like fly fishing expedition trip with one of my best friends who's also like my best fishing buddy um in the rockies for two and a half weeks and it was just like backpacking and high alpine lakes and um it was one of the most incredible experiences for me um and that really just got me started on it and i think i started to notice that fly fishing and my interest in film and photography started to kind of like meld together because fly fishing is so artful and you can go like so many beautiful places 
Um, and that just lent itself really well to like the storytelling and photography aspect um, that I love so much. So I started to get more into that. And then, you know, I, I decided I was going to be going to school up in Vermont. And that was definitely like, you know, big fly fishing country up there. So I slowly just got more into it. And over the years, it's been really cool because that um, company that I used to, to go on that fly fishing expedition when I was young that got me into fly fishing, I now guide for them and like take pictures for them and do media stuff for them. So um, I'm really wow. grateful. It's it's called Lillard Fly Fishing Expeditions for anyone who has somebody young who wants like a sick experience getting into fly fishing. I would highly recommend checking them out. I mean, even as a guide, I this past summer I was guiding for them and we took a group of kids into the Wind River Range and that was probably one of the most insane fly fishing experiences of my life. Um, just hiking deep into the winds finding like golden trout and massive cutthroat and it's it's been pretty awesome that's super it's been cool. really cool to see my uh fly fishing experience come full circle in that way yeah i was gonna say it's it's definitely come come full circle and i think oh we, we're on kind of a similar like getting into fly fishing timeline i also got into it when i was a sophomore in in high school and now getting people into the sport it's like such a crazy crazy cool experience and you get oh, yeah yeah it, it it's like once you get someone on their first fish on a fly rod you're like you get to show them like all right this is why i like this a lot 100 <laughs> percent. i mean that's it's funny because i think i i say this jokingly sometimes but it's pretty much true as well but a lot of the reason that i uh you know try to focus on the storytelling aspect and taking pictures and making films and guiding when i'm fly fishing is because i'm actually better at all of those things than i am at fishing myself <laughs> so for me being able to go out there and get kids on fish and teach them these things and like capture those moments and like help create those moments for them um has been one of my major goals as i've started to progress like both as a fisherman and as like a storyteller and filmmaker because all along my journey getting into fly fishing and filmmaking and conservation like any time that I've ever reached out to anyone, they were always willing to answer questions for me, help me out with something, teach me something new, bring me out fishing, you know? Mm. And for me, it's all about paying that back. And I think what Five Rivers has done for me is not only extend that, um, but it's also helped me experience that as well from other people. And I've I've learned from so many different people that I've met through Five Rivers and I've learned so much through my experiences with Five Rivers and I feel like certain experiences that I've had, whether it be like the, you know, Pennsylvania Odyssey that I did or the Native Odyssey that I attended last summer or summer of 2019, it's also given me the opportunity to um, put my voice out there and also show others like me and you know like us like young anglers this next generation that um 
people are out there like wanting to listen to us. People are out there wanting to teach us, learn from us and get us involved in, yeah. in what's going on. So I think that's been really important for that growth along my journey as well. Yeah. I like that you, so, Oh, oh, I was, was going to say, so, go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I like that you brought up all the, the Odyssey stuff and, um, your experience in five rivers and we'll definitely get to that. But, um, Andrew, I think you were heading where, where I was heading. If you want to want to go there. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, how do these experiences that you've got from five rivers and from teaching other people and doing the, the expeditions and stuff like that, uh, relate back to, to your own club. You know, I'm sure you, you know, obviously COVID has changed, uh, the narrative on how to engage your, your club. I know that Middlebury had some pretty strict, uh, COVID restrictions, but, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your club and, you know, what you do to, to get more people involved, uh, on campus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my club is, the club at Middlebury has kind of always been like my baby in a way. Cause when I got there freshman year, I remember attending one of the first meetings for the fly fishing club. And two of the seniors who were kind of leading it were like, look, we're leaving. Somebody's got to like be president or this is basically just going to disappear. And they were like, who, who wants to do it? And I was looking around at a room of like, mostly other upperclassmen everyone was just kind of blankly staring at each other and I was like well I guess I'm gonna have to do something interesting in college <laughs> so I just like raised my hand and was like yeah I'll do it let's go and they're like oh is is anyone opposed and everyone's like no so ever since that moment it's been like really important to me because of the fact that you know sometimes I like to think like if I hadn't stepped up you know maybe it wouldn't be there and it's definitely been a labor of love and at times like pretty challenging because I have such a we have such a small student body at Middlebury that um you know people are generally very into the outdoors but it's a lot of other things like skiing and backpacking and climbing and stuff like that um so it's been hard to sometimes get people involved in fly fishing but over the years, it's been really incredible um, to see how it's grown. And we've built up a really strong network of, of people. And every year, we always have um, new members, whether they're first years or people that have been at the school for a while and just suddenly found out about the club. Or, you know, a big thing over this past semester is a lot of people picked up fly fishing during quarantine. Yeah. Um, so big thing for us, um, like Andrew mentioned, we've had some pretty uh, strict restrictions at first. Um, but a big thing was just like making sure that people knew that despite that, like we are still community, um, there's still a resource to be had with us. And we have like a group me and everyone shares information and pictures and what spots they go to. And especially during COVID, one thing that was really great is that we have like we've we've been lucky enough to over the years kind of like uh reform a pretty solid like gear room so you know sometimes fly fishing or you know oftentimes can be restricted because of the the cost of entry but we definitely are like really conscious of that and have like 
fly rods and flies and waders that people can use. And even though I wasn't able to get out there as much as I wanted to this semester, um, we still had plenty of people, um, you know, safely and socially distanced going out and, and catching fish. And um, it was really cool to see a few, even a few little like friend groups among the first years form just by like going out with each other one or two times, whether or not they caught fish. Um, so it's, it's been an interesting semester in, in that regard. And, um, you know, every once in a while, we'll, especially now that we're back, we're all back at home, probably have like a few little zoom get togethers, tie some flies, you know, talk about fish stories if you're at home and you're fishing. Um, but I'm really looking forward to the spring as well. And pretty hopeful that we can do the same thing and get people out there and get people fishing. Cause at the end of the day, you know, that, that brings everybody joy. Yeah. It's cool to see that the community is still going strong through COVID. Um, I know it's been tough for, for a lot of clubs and trying to find ways to engage everyone, uh, even with not being able to meet in person and stuff. Cause that was like kind of at least my club's bread and butter was those meetings and, um, being able to do trips and, um, and then at the national level, we can't have the rendezvous or stuff like that, right. which were a lot of fun, but it's cool to hear that, 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 that's still going well. Um, so you, you, you talked for a second about the odysseys you went on. Do you kind of want to go into those experiences and what you did in 2018 in Pennsylvania? And then, um, and then we'll go into like 2019 with, with the odyssey. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so in 2018, I was, I was really lucky. I found, um, I found this opportunity in, in Pennsylvania that was originally, I think it was supposed to be for just, you know, five rivers or, you know, people, uh, like members of youth members of Trout Unlimited from Pennsylvania, but they decided to, to let me join. But it was this really incredible five week, uh, we, we kind of dubbed it like the, the brook trout odyssey, um, where me and three other guys that I'm, I'm still great buddies with, and they're all five rivers members and doing really interesting stuff. Um, we met up and basically just like got given this, this budget. Uh, one of the, one of the guys brought his truck. And then at the time, the, uh, the head of Pennsylvania trout unlimited, his name was Charlie Charlesworth gave us his like 1993 Jeep grand Cherokee. And yes. he was like, all right, so uh, basically, you guys are going to be working with a Penn State grad student doing some some research on brook trout, and then you're also going to be um, doing some work for the Pennsylvania Boat Commission, Fish and Boat Commission, on their unassessed waters initiative. Um, so basically, for five weeks, we were just driving around in my friend's truck in this rickety old Jeep, um, and basically just went from the north or the southeast corner of Pennsylvania nearly all the way to the northwest corner um, just doing research doing fish surveys and fishing and meeting incredible people and it was it was a really great experience for me because um, that was kind of my first opportunity to really do some 
more legitimate and I put like air quotes around it. Cause you know, it's always the, the first experience doing some film work is always rough. Mm. I look back on it and sometimes it makes me cringe, but you know, you got to start somewhere. So I was able to, to film the experience and try and make a little film about what we were doing there. And, um, I think it was, it was really important experience for me because I got to, that was like my first opportunity that I was able to really see the power of like five rivers. And this wasn't even some, you know, huge, um, big deal or anything, but even so I was able to meet up with like three other guys that were part of five rivers and be a part of this awesome opportunity. And, get to partake in two really meaningful things like some research that has been like crucial for studying brook trout and, you know, subspecies of brook trout within a certain, like within a state or within different watersheds. Um, and then also helping the Pennsylvania fish and boat commission to, um, basically we were just given a bunch of waypoints and they told us, look, we have no idea if there are brook trout in here, but it's a stream and we want you to, electrofish it, find out if there are native wild populations so that we can properly protect them. And that was, that how was many, a really cool experience. How many of those streams like had, had brook trout, any of them, did any of them have brook trout in them or, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think they, they gave us 55 waypoints total. Good um, Lord. I think we only got to about half of them. Um, and within that half i'd say maybe 40 maybe 30 or 40 percent had brook trout in them pretty good um yeah it was it was really cool and it was interesting to see in some places we went to this one uh river i really had no recollection of where it was but essentially there was a main stem of a river and then there was a little headwater that fed into it and they had been disconnected by a culvert. And so we went into the main stem of the river and electrofished at three different points, one above, at, and below that culvert, and didn't find a single fish. But we went above the culvert to this headwater that was tiny, like skinny water, and found like tons of brook trout up there. So we figured, oh, wow, like this culvert is really having pretty negative impact on the brook trout population of the stream. So we worked with the local forest service and basically made a natural fish ladder out of felled trees and rocks and branches. Um, and it was really cool to see because after three months, six months and nine months, the, uh, the person that the point person on that project sent us picture updates and even within the first four months after some like flooding and whatnot uh, and sediment moving around, the fish ladder like was completely had completely changed um, the shape of the stream for the better in that it actually connected the culvert to that main stem of the stream, created this like incredible small pool and lots of little holes for brook trout to hide under all of this brush. That's and super they said cool. they electrofished it the next summer and found brook trout in that main stem. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah. So, and you know, that's one tangible thing that happened, but you know, there are, there are numerous 
other experiential things that happened on that trip that were that were definitely really important for me and, and felt pretty great to experience. So. so then you got to the next summer, you got to go. Andrew, were you on that? You're on the Odyssey, weren't you, too? I was not. <clears throat> I, I only attended the first Odyssey. And oh. then, uh, yeah, I never made it on the, the other two. But, uh, yeah, Mateo, so, you know, you did the PA Odyssey. Then that led you to the following summer where you did the Pacific Northwest. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and and how your PA Odyssey kind of uh, affected your perspective, I guess, on that experience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think the Pennsylvania Odyssey definitely, uh, prepared me for, for the regular Odyssey and that there were like little things in terms of like logistics and moving around and, and whatnot that, uh, that definitely made the, the next Odyssey, the, the Pacific Northwest one a lot easier, but also, it just made me even more excited because I knew at the core of it, the Odyssey is such an exceptional opportunity for like young anglers. And having done the Pennsylvania Odyssey, I knew that was also a really cool experience. But the amount of things that happened on that trip that I never even expected to happen made me realize that on this next Odyssey, like there's the potential for the same exact thing to happen. Um, so the Pacific Northwest Odyssey was, wow, it was it was a really cool experience. I mean, the the three other guys on that trip, Dan Iden, Morgan Bradley, Dyer Benjovsky, like, uh, we're like such good friends now, and we still have a group chat, and we still talk. Like two weeks ago, we got on like a, a Zoom chat and uh, all talked and caught up, and we're trying to get back together this upcoming summer, but. I mean, we really delved deep into the whole storytelling aspect of the Odyssey. And I mean, we met some pretty exceptional individuals and people and just kind of like it was a really cool opportunity because we had kind of like a set outline of things, you know, that that Andrew's grateful enough to like we were grateful for Andrew to put it together and it really helped us meet some like really cool people with, with Trout Unlimited. But also the really cool thing was that it gave us wiggle room to just kind of like see what happens sometimes. So there are a bunch of times where we met people on the river, you know, in passing or some crazy connection that one of us had to somebody else in the area and just had like some really cool um, experience. And I mean, getting to see all of the, the, the biggest thing about the Odyssey, the two biggest things about the Odyssey for me, um, were one, it was an opportunity to highlight all of the smaller efforts that are happening, um, in terms of conservation, especially with anadromous fish, um, that don't get highlighted because they are extremely important. And as we all know, everything starts upstream um, so a lot of this work was done in headwaters and, um, of the Columbia and different things and getting to see the dedication that these people were putting into projects was so inspiring. And the second thing that was really important about the Odyssey for me was kind of using that inspiration that we saw in other people 
and being able to document these stories, but also document these stories in our own story as like four young anglers, Five Rivers members and conservationists that are really like passionate about these things too. Um, and kind of show that like this, like we are clearly like the next generation who's going to come into this unique position of like, we, we have a lot, a lot of work to do for our environment and being able to show that we can tell stories, help share different things. Um, and also like have a fun and good time and create content in a way that's like actually relatable, I think is really important. And I, I don't know, you'd be hard pressed to find any other way to do that other than an opportunity through five rivers. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I look up to so many, especially within the fly fishing industry. I mean, so many talented like filmmakers and stuff like that. But I think the odyssey and getting to create the like film um, that I made resilient waters, like for me, it was an opportunity to be like, okay, like it's, it's time to kind of foster in this next generation. Um, And also I think it was an opportunity to show others, like I said before, like to show others that are my age, whether or not they're involved with fishing, maybe they're involved with conservation, environmental justice, whatever, like, there are people out there that like can give you a platform that want to listen to you and you can tell these stories too. You don't need to have crazy equipment or be like, you know, some well-seasoned filmmaker, like it all starts somewhere. And I think that for me, the Odyssey was really that pivotal point where I really felt solidified and like, like I want to and have full intentions of like pursuing a career and, outdoor and documentary filmmaking and photography. And I think that that experience really solidified my love and like want to pursue that. Yeah. That's super cool. I was trying to find a place to slide in and plug that, that (laughs) film you made, um, resilient waters and I'll plug it again. It's, it's super good. Um, we showed it to our club and I probably watched it five or six times. Um, (laughs) it's, it's awesome. And it's really cool how you told that story of the odyssey and, um, like that's something I wanted to do was to go on that odyssey that summer, but other things came up and didn't end up applying. And when that, when your film came out about, about it, I was kicking myself, um, for going off and making other plans for that summer. Um, but it's super cool. And then I totally agree with you on, um, like we're the next generation of who's going to protect all these waters the next generation of the people that are going to set the tone of, what the fly fishing industry is going to look like. And I think it's super important and trout don't live in ugly places and we want to make sure that doesn't change. So I think it's super cool. And I think I just want to slide in here a comment since we're on this conservation talk a little bit of how big of a deal it is that uh, just last week, the Corps announced that they were fully going to deny that, that permit at Pebble. And I mean, have you been up to Alaska fishing yet, Mateo? Or I have not, but I have, I have dreams. dreams See, we just, we should plan a trip then. Cause I really want to go and I've always wanted to, but it was, 
I was just found myself so um, tied into Pebble through because of my involvement through Five Rivers and just being someone who cares about our freshwater fisheries. I, it's just such a big deal. And Andrew, you might have a little more insight than than myself or um, whatnot, but I just think it's something worth talking about that that permit got denied and we had that Pebble episode, but um, I just think that's a huge deal. Yeah, totally. Um, we'll have to bring on our government affairs staff and Team Alaska because uh, I know inevitably I'm going to botch it, but essentially my understanding is it was denied due to uh, violations of the Clean Water Act um, and they can protect, uh, you know, they basically reaffirmed the Obama administration era protections uh, under the Clean Water Act that they can dig the mine there without uh, having adverse effects on the fishery. Um, which doesn't mean it's not dead for forever, right? Um, you know, someone else 10 years from now can come back and say, oh, yeah, we want to do this again, you know? So uh, I think the next steps for TU and other conservation partners is to uh, strive for permanent protections. Yeah. And I noticed that that was something that came up a lot on on uh, social media too, was like, yes, we, we won this for now, but permanent protections or something that that we need to hit hard now that we know it's like they've targeted it and we have this win but we gotta we gotta get that permanent win yeah yeah no it's i was i was just gonna say it's definitely a fight that's not over and over the past few years like like you were saying joseph like i even though i've never been there just i've developed such like a strong relationship to that place and it's extended to the fact like to the point where my friends who you know they're like environmentally conscious like environmentalists whatever but they're not really into fishing and now they care a lot about it too and i'm like i i actually care like a lot about the fish and whatnot but i just like non-stop talk about these things and i think that's one of the most important things is like you can have a win, but also you just have to continually make sure people are aware of what's going on and continue to share those things. And unfortunately, like you can't really ever let your guard down with these things, no matter, you know, who's in charge of our country or, you know, who's doing what it's, it's definitely, uh, it's going to be a really, and has been a very interesting time and to grow up in as, you know, a fisherman and as an an environmentalist and conservationist. And I think we're only going to continue to see that grow. Yeah. Um, And I think the importance of, you know, youth power, like the power of youth is going to be crazy. And I mean, we've already seen things in terms of like, um, you know, climate protests and stuff like that. And, you know, younger kids turning up. But I think that, um, the more and more we have like people that are informed about what's going on, I think obviously that the stronger our forces will be. And I think that that five rivers is definitely a, a great place to, to bring awareness about stuff like pebble. And I, I see that in, in the community at large. Yeah. 100%. Totally. But, uh, Mateo, um, you know, tell us a little bit about kind of, I know that you're, you're obviously, you know, you, you highlighted this a little bit earlier, but, um, 
you know, your, your career path towards being uh, a f- outdoor filmmaker. Um, you know, what kind of current projects are you working on? Uh, I know that you said that you're working on like a, a thesis video. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what you're doing with that and kind of upcoming projects that you're working on currently? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said before, I think all of my experiences in the past three years and fly fishing and five rivers have have really kind of led me on this path to where I, I want to pursue storytelling and documentary filmmaking, outdoor filmmaking, um, just because it's been so crucial to and formative for like myself in my life um, and so deeply impactful for me and I know for a lot of people around me. And I also aside from fishing, I can't really think of anything else that I'd rather do in life. (laughs) Um, but yeah, right now I'm, I'm a senior and I know I'm I'm majoring in environmental studies and film. So I kind of eked out my own, uh, unique little major. That's, that's pretty much focused on exactly what I want to, to be pursuing. But in terms of projects, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a thesis right now and uh, it started out as a series of, of three short films that were focused on people uh, in isolation uh, who are kind of like in the outdoors in isolation that have kind of like voluntarily adopted these ways of life in order and like kind of highlighting their lives in an attempt to offer some like wisdom and teach some lessons to, to all of us during COVID because we've all kind of been into this like forced isolation. Um, but you know, things pretty much never work out exactly how you plan them. So I now find myself, uh, creating a very, uh, emotional film about a man that I met that lives not too far from campus um, who struggles with a lot of anxiety and depression, but finds like solace and comfort in the like 300 yards of like nature in his backyard and a family of beavers that he has befriended. So it's been really interesting and I've been really lucky to uh, actually find something to film. Like a lot of people in the film department at my school, um, tend to end up going the more intellectual route and writing like analytical papers and stuff like that. And I just want to like make films. So I was dying to film something. And after two weeks of just like contacting person after person relentlessly, I found this guy, his name is Walter through like a series of four contact connections and somebody happening to find his phone number on a random sticky note in their basement. Wow. Um, so it's been, it's been really cool and it's, it's been a really fun film to work on because, um, it does combine, um, you know, a little separate from the more environmentalist and conservationist side of me. It does focus on the more like, spiritual and almost like deep connective side um to nature that i hold really close to me um and i'm really excited to work on it and i'm planning on having it finished before uh the end of january because i 
you know, fingers crossed, think it might be good enough to submit to some film festivals. Um, but I'm really excited about it. And I've never, you know, prior to this, I think the Odyssey film was the thing that I had worked the hardest on. But this, because it was my thesis, I had to do pre-production and planning and pre-interviews and mood boards and all these different things where I was like, oh, this is like actually what filmmakers do. And this mm-hmm. has definitely been something that uh, has I've probably put the most energy into in my life. I mean, I was going up to this guy's house like four times a week, filming like three to four hours, and then coming back to my dorm and going through all the footage and replanning and making new shot lists. And yeah, it was it was quite the process, but I think it really has helped me grow as a filmmaker. And I'm really excited to apply all of these new things that I learned to to hopefully making some really cool fishing films in the future. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I'm, I'm just working on a little short personal film about trying to teach my brother to fly fish that ended up completely failing, but it's still pretty fun. Um, and then I also do some editing work for uh, fly Lords as well. So just working on some, some edits for them and cool. hopefully some filming opportunities for them in the future as well. Yeah, we just had we just had Jared on. Uh, oh yeah, last time. Uh, he has great things to say about you. So good job. Um, but yeah. that's super <laughs> exciting. All the all the work you're you're doing uh, for Fly Lords and um, finishing up school and whatnot. I'm excited to see that film that you're working on for your thesis. Um, but. And I can relate to the teaching your brother how to fly fish. I have a younger brother, and it took took a long time to to make that work. Joseph, you have uh, any other questions? No, I'm I'm out of out of my show notes. Right on. Well, uh, Mateo, where can uh, people find you on on Instagram and uh, Vimeo, etc.? Yeah, my my Vimeo is just my name, Mateo Moretti two t's and in, in both my first and last name and then on instagram my uh my handle is is that what you call it a handle i actually have no idea i guess uh, so yeah yeah my handle is at moretti.media um but yeah i would appreciate if you gave me a follow always love connecting with new people and if you're someone who's getting into film or photography or storytelling or whatever like feel free to drop me a dm or whatever contact me wherever because i'm always happy to to talk to people and help help you out with any questions you have teach you anything but also you know i'm always looking to learn as well so yeah just got to create a a good community of of young filmmakers and fly fishermen that's what it's all about totally um Mateo, I guess one last thing too. Any uh, any insight you want to give to to anyone out there who's looking to start a club, uh, you know, filmmaking, anything like that? Any final thoughts? Ooh. All right. Well, I'll say on on two fronts. The first one, starting a club. I mean, if anything I've said hasn't convinced you to start a club, then all you can do. I mean is just look at every other club. I mean, my club is small, whatever, but there are some, some great clubs out there doing some really incredible stuff. And I mean, 
if you want a community of really passionate fishermen and people who care about the environment, I don't really think there's, there's anywhere else you can look. Um, and the opportunities with, with five rivers to create long lasting friendships and go to really cool places and learn from people and have memories that you'll look back on for a while are infinite. So that's what I'd say on the club front in terms of filmmaking and photography and storytelling. My number one thing is something that pretty much anyone will tell you, but it's just do it. Don't second guess having the wrong, like not having the right equipment or it's not like expensive or nice or whatever. I don't have a big following, like just do it and put passion into it and put effort into it and people will see that and that's what will people that's what people will be attracted to and will really see in the work that you make is the passion behind it and the dedication to it because you know at the end of the day what's really true is anybody can pick up a fancy like prosumer camera and film like super nice b-roll at 120 frames per second but not everyone can, you know, pick up a camera and tell a story that's meaningful to them in a very true and honest way. So as long as you do that, just put your head down and keep doing it and keep making and don't stop. And I think, I think that's, that's the best way to start. And that's what I tell myself every single time that I second guess something or, Oh, it's not good enough or it's not good as these people, whatever. You just got to keep doing it. And I've had so much support from friends and family, but especially from the Five Rivers community. Um, I mean, I can't really express how much it's meant to me to get like messages from people that are a part of Five Rivers clubs. And I've never met them, never heard of them before, whatever. Just like, hey, really like watched your film, really enjoyed it, like loved the story, whatever. And those are the kind of things that really make you want to keep going so yeah great advice well mateo it was great great getting to talk to you it's great uh that i've gotten to get to know you the past couple months through somehow i guess i dm'd you on instagram and um (laughs) just would consider you a friend now but great having you on glad you came to join us and um thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you back here again for episode seven